Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel, And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Merrin Talks Money, the after show. This is where we unpack all the commentary here in our regular podcast. I'm Merrin Somerset Webb. This week, John Stepek, senior reporter at Bloomberg and author of the Daily Money Distilled newsletter, joins me, as usual, to discuss my conversation with Koku Abu Blua. He is Society General's global head of economics, cross asset and quant research, and UK head of research. Right, John, have you listened to this one? Uh, I've, I've read the transcript again, because I always, I always read it rather than listen to it. Do you? Do you? Yes. Um, I hope everyone else listens to it. But you know, what did you? <laughs> what did you think of this conversation? Where would you like to say you absolutely do not agree? Oh, I mean, I've got to be honest. My my issue here, and I think it's actually a lot to do with the job description, mm. is that if you'd given me a list of the questions you were going to ask Koku before I read this transcript, I could have told you what all of the answers were going to be, pretty much. Wow. Um, I don't you know, have a so, list of questions in advance. It doesn't work like that. But in future, I'll just, <laughs> oh, send, yeah, you, I know you. In future, I'll just send you the list of questions. You can tell me the answers and we won't bother with all this boring podcasting business. If you'd given me the improv before you before <laughs> you did the improv. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really a, a, a criticism so much as like, it's okay, so the received wisdom is surely there's going to be a recession, but does the recession thing even matter that much? And you know, interest rates have gone up at an extraordinary rate, but somehow everything's going to basically be okay because we've got enough time to roll off that. And if you know there is a disaster, then it means you know the the central banks can cut interest rates anyway to stop it from being a disaster. So it's basically everything's going to be okay. Um, and therefore, you should own a diversified portfolio. With I did a green say to him that that's not an acceptable answer. Oh yeah, no. And I mean, to be fair, he, he, he threw some ideas there, um, and you know, there's there's a lot to be said for owning passive investments and uh, all the rest of it, mm, mm. Um, and transition metals. Although, again, I'd sort of make the point that transmit transition metals are fine, but Probably have to be a wee bit picky because I mean, like the lithium price is kind of like shot up and then collapsed when everyone realised that actually there's plenty of lithium in the world, and as soon as the price is high enough, um, assuming we even stick with lithium batteries, which we may it's, not, it's not yeah. Gonna, yeah, it's not going to be the new oil. It's you know a pretty common substance, and as long as you know, it's, it's, there's enough of it out there. It's just that we've never had to use it before. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's I know, sorry, it sounds like I'm being like terribly kind of mean, but I, I think it's just 
at a high level, if you're not going to say something out of the ordinary about macro, then the rest of it's just sort of like all kind of decimal points, basically. It's like, oh, is the recession going to be in this quarter or is it going to be in that quarter? And at the end of the day, that sort of thing doesn't matter that much for investors. And then beyond that, it's kind of um, the, the kind of at the, at the more detailed level, you kind of need to be a little bit pickier than just, you know, okay, we'll buy, buy these transition metals or whatever. Yeah, I suppose the, th- the thing that I would, I would have picked him up on, in fact, I did pick him up on, is this idea that everything will be fine because interest rates have, everything will be fine because interest rates have gone up so fast that they can come down again. Whereas yeah. I tend to feel more that interest rates went up very fast because they had to, because the central banks made some enormous mistakes and let inflation get out of control. So we now have rates at what you might consider to be historically historical normal levels. So the idea that as soon as something goes wrong, we can drag them back down again to um, these historically extremely abnormal levels of, uh, you know, real terms negative or uh, 1%, 0.5%, etc. So the idea that that ammunition exists, I'm not sure that it does, because the central banks may, just may, because they don't always learn their lessons, but they may have learned a lesson about how very, very, very low interest rates allow for the misallocation of capital and also open the door to inflation. So even if something does go very wrong in the global economy, which I expect it will at some point in the not too distant future, I'm not sure that that leeway exists, that put still exists. Oh, yeah, because they they went up for a reason. So it's kind of like, well, you know, if if they go back down, then you can't, it's sort of like, can't you say that inflation is going to vanish um, because it's convenient at that point for central banks to be cutting rates. I mean, one thing that I did find um, kind of interesting or that I think is something that we could do with talking more about in a more specific way is the thing about productivity. There's a lot of time can people talk about productivity and talk about you know, well, is artificial intelligence going to help me or is tech going to help with it? And I I think it'd be interesting to just maybe break down, well, actually, how are these things going to help with productivity? And is there not an issue with the way, really, that we measure productivity? And, like, one of the reasons productivity has fallen so badly in the UK, for example, but in lots of other places is because our productivity measures are basically based on manufacturing industries being much more significant parts of the economy than they are. And if we all acknowledge that, well, actually, how does a hairdresser become more productive? What is the nature of an increase in hairdresser's productivity? And we're kind of like, well, you know, you can't kind of measure that and you're never going to get to a point where one hairdresser can do three haircuts in an hour rather than two haircuts in an hour. No, 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 no. That's simply not true. Haircutting takes too long. This is one of the conversations I have every time I go to the hairdresser. I say, how long is this going to take? And they take an hour. I'm like, how can this take an hour? How can this possibly, in any rational world, take an hour? But man, this is why you it always look so well It take 25 minutes to cut a woman's hair. Anyone's hair. <laughs> tops. Absolute tops. This, I mean, I accept that it's very skilled work and that it's difficult. But an hour? No, 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 no. There is huge room for productivity gains in hairdressing. You've chosen the wrong example. I don't, but you could just get a set of clippers and then that would kind of, you know, boost productivity, technically speaking. Mm-hmm. 
that would be great. But but would it actually boost productivity if you've got a whole lot of unhappy people with no hair? I can't answer that. that that's, <laughs> that's too much for me today. Anyway, <laughs> but I get your point. It's very hard to raise productivity in the service industries. But yeah, but I think this is I think this is the thing. So we we, we talk about this again at a kind of very high level. But it's I I think a lot of the time it's if if we talk about the abstract number of productivity, but they're actually talking about well, what would a more product, productive economy actually look like? Um, and also, I, I think the pro, I mean, I find productivity a very abstract, difficult concept to wrap my head around. So I do not know what most of, for example, our kind of non-finance listeners think of whenever they think about productivity because um, it's, like I say it's this kind of like a concept that is infuriatingly abstract to me so I'd like to find a way to break it down in more concrete levels as in what what would this mean for you well, what I think would this mean the, for um, these industries one of, the, one of the things in the UK is that it's public sector productivity that has been such a disaster. I'm not private sector productivity isn't great either. But when you look at our productivity numbers, it's the public sector that is genuinely letting us down. And the place where I think most people can see that productivity could be massively improved is, is in particular in the NHS. And that's where we have, where when you talk about digitalization and you talk about AI, et cetera, something, an organization such as the NHS could be massively improved by a higher level of efficiency and productivity and middle management in particular. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's somewhere where we really could see dramatic change, which would have a huge benefit, not just for um, us and our health, but for our government finances. And to be fair, on, on the private sector side, the, the kind of law, uh, lawyer area and the process of uh, buying houses and selling houses and all the paperwork that kind of has to be uh, chucked in between parties um, I can see that's another area where that could improve it I mean the one thing, one point I would make with that Low, is that we sort of point to AI as being the solution for all this but you know the, the NHS is still using fax machines in some areas that's and you kind of like, well, he said, no, but this is the point. It's kind of like, well, it's not the fact that we've invented AI is not going to change this. We, what we need to do is break down some of the guilds that are protecting these professions. Um, and I mean, that's the, the big hurdle is things like the, you know, the, you know, the kind of British Medical Association kind of, you know, doctors, but also, but on the law side, you know, a lot of paperwork could presumably have already been replaced. And it's all about, professions protecting their you know their leveled up status if you like and and rather than the technology lagging because there's lots of technology that could already improve all of these areas that wouldn't require artificial intelligence i mean simple algorithms and spreadsheets would would work very well for things like triage if you know we were more uh you know capable of getting them into um, all of these different parts of the, the bureaucracy. Mm. Mm. Uh, we've kind of moved off the interview, haven't we? We have <laughs> totally, and I was about to start talking about something else altogether and then remembering that we're supposed to be talking about this interview. Um, so one of the things that he did talk about when we came to productivity is he was talking about the Roaring Twenties a little. That's a good point. I mean, there was a, a lot of comparison between the Roaring Twenties 
and the roaring 2020s after the reopening of the economy, the sort of uh, revenge spending, etc. When you look at total factor productivity, it has actually sort of been flat to the, to falling. And depending on countries, obviously, the U.S. clearly has a, a lot more investment in innovation and productivity. So for that, you need investments in technology, robots, um, etc. Even artificial intelligence is expected to increase the productivity in the service industry not just replace jobs, but make us a lot more efficient at what we do. So I think there is a, yeah, there, there is a probability for productivity to increase because we won't have much alternative as businesses will are facing, as you said, real wage growth. They'll have to find ways to protect their margin by investing in more productive assets. Otherwise, they'll just have to, they'll struggle and, and underperform. So I think it is... Yeah, and I remember you and I talking about this a lot in 2020, 2021, how we fully expected there'd be a roaring 20s coming. Um, and I wonder if that might still happen. I've started seeing mentions, again, after a break, mentions of the roaring 20s popping up all over the place. Um, uh, Eddie Ardini at Yardini Research is always talking about his roaring 20s outlook outlook. Uh, and how it centers on the technological innovations, et cetera, that, that we were talking about in this podcast, and that he thinks that this productivity boom is coming back, um, and that is reflected in the moves in the stock market this year. And so this is not just a, um, a pop in a bear market, but the beginning of a new bull market that reflects this massive productivity surge. So this idea of the Roaring Twenties is still out there. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, Maybe it was last year, Bailey Gifford had a conference and it was called uh, The Roaring Twenties and we all got notebooks with The Roaring Twenties written on the front. Um, I still have that notebook and I must open it and see what it says inside uh, to remind myself of what we thought was going to happen and I'm afraid what actually happened. But it may come back. Maybe maybe next year, John, you and I will be talking about The Roaring Twenties again. What do you think? I, I'll be honest with you, I feel pretty optimistic. I, I can see The Roaring Twenties being a... Uh, Actually, actually coming back and actually happening, um, because there is so much pessimism at a you know a, a high level, and I'm not saying I don't necessarily think interest rates will break anything or explode anything. I just think I feel sort of feel that either something you know quite drastic will happen, or actually we'll we'll see a, a boom on the other side of this because people actually realise well wait a minute actually nothing particularly bad's going to happen. Um, and then what we actually need to do is just get our heads down and get investing and maybe high interest rates will get rid of some of the extraneous rubbish and the misallocated capital and we'll start focusing on what matters. So I do, I do, it's a weirdly uncertain set of outcomes even compared to, you know, the usual future uncertainty, I think. It is, but I keep looking at it and thinking, as you just said, high interest rates will solve some of our capital misallocation problem. And the labour shortage may solve other problems um, yeah. in that it is when there is a labour shortage that companies have to get a grip and use technology to solve their, their general economic problems. And I know I promised I wasn't going to talk about my holidays, but back to my holidays. <laughs> so one of the things that I did in Sri Lanka was I visited quite a few uh, tea plantations uh, because I, you know, I love a plantation and I love a factory, right? So I, I've also visited a couple of them. Uh, tea factories, which was, was absolutely fascinating. And one of the things that constant complaint out there was a shortage of labor, that it's really hard to get uh, people to pick tea or pluck tea, um, which seems 
to make sense to me because it's extremely hard work and it's horribly underpaid. You get uh, 1,150 rupees a day as a base, base pay for plucking tea, which is, um, you know, about three pounds, I think. So really not very much. And the tea pluckers in, uh, in the uh, hills around Candy are demanding a doubling of their base rate, which seems entirely reasonable. Um, and there's also an um, incentive program on top of that where you get another 50 rupees for each kilo of tea that you, you pluck, etc. So it's still extremely low wages. Even if it was doubled, it's still extremely low. However, um, a doubling of wage from whatever from ever level plus a labor shortage means that the plantations are having to look at alternative ways. Look, at how can we how can we make this more productive? How can each person uh, have more tea picked at the end of the day? And so they've started looking at mechanical pickers, uh, which is amazing because one of these um, machines and go look them up online if anyone can be bothered because quite yeah. interesting to look at. Um, you can double or triple the productivity of each tea picker, i.e. the amount of, of tea that they pick every day. Um, using a variety of machines, there are two in particular, one, one that is used by two people and one that is used by one person. Um, and this is extremely innovative. And it's a, a classic example of employers going, okay, we can't get enough labor um, and we can't afford to pay labor what labor needs, or maybe you can afford it, but you don't want to, however you look at it, right? So we need to come up with an innovative solution. And suddenly everyone is inventing ways to uh, help a picker double the amount of tea they get during a day by by using uh, mechanical pickers. And I, I found that very interesting just because it was naturally classic of the shortage of labor causes technological change genre. And that's all I'm going to say about the holidays for now anyway. We can talk about the beaches later. Yeah, no, we'll look forward to hearing more about it. It's also, it's really interesting to hear there's a labor shortage like in Sri Lanka as well. Labour shortages, like, labor shortages seem, yeah. coming everywhere, which is one of the reasons yeah. why, I mean, we won't talk about immigration at the moment, but one of the, one of the things about the idea that we can use uh, migrants forever to mm. cover our own uh, lower paying jobs is absurd because there are labour shortages across the world. And across yeah. the world, there are people who are saying, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to do that really hard work for that money. I'm going to need a bit more. Uh, which is entirely yeah. reasonable, right? So this this is a global dynamic, not just a, a UK dynamic. So it makes no sense for us to say we're going to solve our labour problem by importing labour from other countries where there's also a labour shortage. You know, it might work short term, but it's most certainly not going to work long term. Excellent. Right, John, I think we'd, we'd better leave it there and remember everybody that a diversified portfolio is a good thing, but it's not the most interesting thing. Thanks for listening to this week's Marin Talks Money, The After Show. This episode was hosted by me, Marin Somerset Webb, alongside John Stepek. It was produced by Summer Saadi and additional editing by Blake Maples. There we go. Would you like to hear more about my holiday? Are we done here? <laughs>Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.